Hello and welcome back to the True Crime Guys podcast. I'm Warren. And I'm Michael. What's up everybody? How you feeling today? Hopefully you're feeling good because if you have to go to the doctor... <laughs> not, not a good sign for you. <laughs> you know, I'm one, of those guys, I'm one of those guys that doesn't go to the doctor. Dude, I don't feel like, I'll be alright. Yeah. I think that's Dude, why... Listen, drink some water and yeah. wait it out. Go drink, for, go for a, a run. Lot of water. Yeah. What if you're, you like, got a broken foot? Go for a run. It'd go for right. a run. <laughs> <laughs> It'll heal itself. What, sprained ACL? Might go be for a, a little, run. Might be a little crooked. <laughs> Whatever. Right. <laughs> might crack. It might pop forever. Oh, you got a little pulled hammy? Drink some water. Go yeah. for a run. I got all kinds of snaps and crackles. <laughs> I sound like fucking Rice Krispie Treats <laughs> over here when I stand up. Dude, I, I, I went, uh, I did some sprints yesterday. I felt pretty good. Uh, sprints are amazing. I took a couple days off. I don't like the distance took, running shit mm-hmm. so much, but like, no. I feel like you get just as much beneficial shit out of sprints maybe more yes dude i took a couple days off and ran i felt like a damn deer yeah it's it's crazy like you just rest is also important yes, a lot of people over train themselves yes. for sure i see it when i with jiu-jitsu there's guys that are there like yep. every time i'm in there you're they're all week progress and then you see them like they're just not as engaged and their injuries start to add up and everything yep. so you gotta let your body rest for if sure your muscles can't heal they can't grow they can't yeah you know you're I mean? tearing your muscles down and you have to, have to let them like you said rebuild up yep yeah, so welcome to True Crime Guys Fitness Podcast. Yeah, man. Yeah, that's what we're doing here. A little bit of true crime, a little bit of fitness. But we started with the point, was that we just don't go to a lot of doctors. And I think that's part of my theory as to why he, this guy, Harold Harold Shipman, yeah. one of the most prolific serial killers in British history. Maybe the most prolific. Had uh, largely his victims were women, like older women, not right. men. And I think part of it is men just don't go to doctors as much as women. I think they tend to, women live longer for multiple reasons. One of them mm-hmm. being they actually like get checkups more regularly men are like ah it'll be all right that yeah. baseball size fucking tumor on my leg it'll go I'll away i'll just ice it yeah i'll just give it a name <laughs> draw a face on it <laughs> yeah i got two kneecaps what's it to you <laughs> you're supposed to have two bro you mean no three? i mean on one leg oh okay <laughs> i'm sorry i should have clarified yeah i got three kneecaps yeah i got three kneecaps one of them's named johnny <laughs> yeah but yeah this guy uh this guy was an animal i really yes. can't you know, aside from a few of them where he benefited from wills and stuff like that, mm-hmm. that was my first instinct. I was like, okay, he's he's a doctor. He's killing people and taking their stuff. Yeah. But it doesn't seem like the motive. No, I think he just got greedy at a certain point. Or he was ready to retire and he saw a nice estate he could, he could grab on the way out. So all those before that, he just liked to see people die? No, I think he actually, you know, man, I have my own theories. We'll get okay. into it. Okay. But yeah, I, I have a theory we'll dive into later. All right. Well, it's maybe look. not the common the, the common belief with him, but well, I'm interested to hear it. Okay, let's get into it. Let's do it. It's the shipment effect in your house, like a deadly insect with higher intellect. It's where the roads of trust and death intersect, and as your eyes roll back in your head, you don't even get a chance to reflect on the life you just lost. You have to trust somebody. And if you can't trust your doctor, who are you supposed to trust? Just how many patients in the town of Hyde has this doctor killed? Do you feel the rush? Pulsing through your veins is never enough. But there's no pain, then there's a hush. Things will never be the same. My mother trusted Dr. Shipman. He cynically and callously betrayed that trust. For your own evil and wicked purpose, 
you took advantage of and grossly abused the trust each of your victims placed in you. You were, after all, each victim's doctor. Here we go, as your horse starts to slow, you never know. You're just doing what you told, he wants your soul. And he's come to collect, collect. It's the ship manifests, here we go. As your pulse starts to slow, you never know. You're just doing what you're told, he wants your soul. And he's come to collect, collect. It's the ship manifests. It's the ship manifest. All right, our case this week. Harold Frederick Shipman, doctor, British doctor, mm-hmm. doctor who you could say now. An evil bloke. An evil bloke. For sure. We got to definitely evil get, wanker. get ready for the British accents. That's right. Those of you that love it, you know those of you that hate it. You know what sucked though? When I was listening to the book, I kept forgetting it was in Britain. Yeah. For some reason, like it, because it was narrated by an American. That's why you got to watch the the special on YouTube. There's like an ABC special on him. Or BBC? Uh, ABC, BBC. I don't know. There was a couple different ones. I think there was oh, an ABC okay. one. I mean, there was like oh. an American one maybe. Oh, okay. But they were interviewing a bunch of British people. Oh, okay. So nice. It, it's easier to stay in that mindset. I guess I should have watched that. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah. So <laughs> patients would check in and they wouldn't check out. Um, he would basically went on to murder potentially uh, in the hundreds the kind of like the official number they have is 218 and that's after they did inquiries yeah. or investigations you know they have different terminology over yeah. this was like an investigations and inquiry uh right. detective is a what was it uh what's the term they use for an investigator it's like a uh, inspector 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 which that's inspectors right. over here are like guys that you hate when you're trying to build something yeah they're they like come out and like pick apart your fucking like, uh, structure your plumbing's not up to yeah. code here uh. yeah. <laughs> meanwhile those are homicide detectives over there right inspectors. <laughs> You're right. Inspectors are hated. Oh, my God. Way more than detectives. (laughs) (laughs) There's not anybody that likes inspectors. No, absolutely not. Sorry if you're an inspector out there. Yeah. (laughs) Or if you're a detective over in Britain. Yeah. So Harold Shipman was an English general practitioner and one of the most prolific serial killers in history of the world, but definitely the most prolific over in in Great Britain. Absolutely. And uh, all of the UK, I'd imagine. On January 31st, 2000, a jury found him guilty of the murder of 15 patients under his care. He was sentenced to life in prison with the recommendation that he never be released. However, that that uh, conviction of those 15 patients really kind of opened the door for them looking at his past and, and investigating mm-hmm. all of the deaths that he had been directly involved in. Right. Because he had overseen um, patients that had died like eight in the 800s or close to a thousand of them. It was unreal. And so they had to go back and, and, and like reexamine all of these. It was an undertaking to try and look into all of the uh, patients that had died under his care. Right. And he and wasn't exhumed, releasing any information. Oh, hell no. He never said a damn thing. No. He never pleaded. He never, uh, he always pleaded not guilty. Yep. Um, and so they had to go and exhume a bunch of bodies and, and basically do toxicology on them. And so, yeah, it was a big ordeal, but it's pretty incredible to think how long he got away with this because it was what, like 20 plus years he was, he was murdering patients. At least. 
Yeah. He didn't and get he caught till like almost 2000, right? It was like he was 98 doing it or early, 99. He was doing it back in the early 80s, and then he was still going. He had opened his own practice in the yeah. 90s and was still going. Yeah, coming up on the 2000s, he was still doing this. Unbelievable. Somehow he kept getting his own practice. That's what just baffled me. I'm like, this guy, he gets, he gets like questioned. They bring him in. He's super suspicious. And then they're kind of like, he needs to be under the care of other doctors. And then he gets there, and then he wins over those doctors. Or... He's so difficult to work with that they don't want to work with him mm-hmm. anymore. And then he ends up getting his own practice over and like what twice he did this. Mm-hmm. He went through this whole routine of getting his own practice, yeah. shitting on people underneath him, undermining other doctors and shit, and then got his own practice and then just went right back to what he was doing. Yep. The Shipman Inquiry, a two-year-long investigation of all deaths certified by Shipman, examined Shipman's crimes. The inquiry identified 218 victims and estimated his total victim count at 250, about 80 of 80% of whom were elderly women. As we had alluded to earlier about the um, largely women, his yeah. youngest confirmed victim was a 41-year-old man, although significant suspicion arose that he had killed patients as young as four. I, I don't know if I believe that. I don't believe that either. I, and it wasn't really in the story. Because he's more, of a, hou- he's more of a house call killer, if you will. <laughs> right. And I don't think you're making house calls for four-year-olds. Yeah, and you're being watched closely by the parents. Exactly. Too. Yeah, I don't. And usually he had to get them alone in the, in the room. You know, yeah. a lot of times he would kill people, and their family would be in the next room over. Yeah, this guy was a shitty person, but I don't think he killed four year olds. Right. Uh, so the book we got was by Ryan Green. We've we've uh, at least done one or two books. I know the Mockingbird Hill Massacre oh, one okay. was Ryan yeah. Green, which that was a different style. I didn't care for his style in that one. And I've been kind of avoiding his books since then because I thought maybe all of his books were done in that fashion where he right. does it through the eyes of the killer and he's speaking for them That's remember right. that he added a bunch of lines this book was not like of, that yeah to insights. be fair this was just your average true crime yes um non-fiction writing and it was good um so it's called harold shipman the true story of britain's most notorious serial killer so and it does have an audible form obviously mm-hmm. and it's only a little over two hours long but it's very detailed gave Extremely you everything you needed detailed, to know yeah yeah very, well done book and then i like i said i also watched a special on youtube that, Remember what that was called? If you just Google Harold Shipman, it's the BBC or the ABC ones. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure there's a couple oh, good. What ones was it there. called? It was. It had a play on words like "license to kill" or some shit like that. Oh, okay. <laughs> <I don't remember>. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> um, much of Britain's legal structure concerning healthcare and medicine was reviewed and modified as a result of Shipman's crimes. That is one p- good point: is that a lot of stuff changed for the better after him being discovered, and they also thought that it was possible that. Be, due to his prolificness, the fact mm-hmm. that he killed so many and got away with it for so long, um, things changed. But it's possible that smaller killing sprees by other practitioners were going on and never caught because they just weren't as prolific as him. And maybe things never would have changed had there not been a guy that was so successful at this for so long that, and right. finally made a mistake. You know, and, ch- and ends up changing things for the better. Sometimes with the bad, there's some good that comes about. Right. And you know, it's still happening now. Like the temptation has to be so, has to be so great for some people. Like if you're already a little morally skewed Mm -hmm. and you see these people who have these big wheels and they have these these valuable things and the only thing standing in the way is them and they're already suffering. Or if you just don't like seeing human suffering and maybe you don't, a lot of times family members are keeping someone alive beyond what they should be. For the family, not so much for for their own, yeah, out of their own selfishness because they just don't want to let them go even yeah. though that person wants to go. Granted, you can't do anything anyway. It's not like you can just say, kill him. Yeah. It's not legal to do that. But 
So you're saying if you're a that doctor most and you've got that disconnection where it's not your loved one. Yeah. And you also don't want to see them suffer and you go, oh, you just inject them with morphine and they slip away and they're gone. You look and, at it as assisted suicide. Yeah. And you look at his background with his mother that we're going to get into. That's right. And yeah. that's why my theory a little bit, I guess we could just spoil it now is just to say that I think, I think a lot of times he thought he was doing good. I don't know if he got off on murdering them. I think he was more being, uh, humanitarian in a sense really yeah i do think a lot of these were him just saying you know what they're gonna suffer maybe they're not right now but at the end is not good most of them were terminal they're not they weren't like directly like they're gonna die this week yeah but they were but there were there were a few cases where where these ladies were in were in decent health were in good health actually for their age getting around well not living with anyone didn't need any help driving around I think it started as the way I'm saying, and then the more he did it, he just got a little more lackadaisical about it. Like, eh, in a few years she's gonna suffer. <laughs> Let's you just take was, her out. <laughs> right? We don't want to get to that suffering part. Yeah, she, she's everything's great right now. Let's end it so on a good note. You think it was like in a rush, getting away with this too? Yeah, and I think a lot. I think there was um, different motives for different um, victims. He that he, because I think the book made a bunch of different theories at the end of it, which is another cool part about the yeah. book. The author gave a bunch of different possible scenarios for why he did it. And some of the victims uh, were a nuisance to him, and he was overheard saying, this person is a hypochondriac, and I'm just tired of dealing with them. And I think... <laughs> so, I mean, he's a monster, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Almost none of these sure. killings were justified. But I think there were instances, and I think he did start out with a certain motive, and then it, it got skewed. Yeah, but he didn't get rich off of it, though. No. Which is which is, And I'm sure he made good money as a doctor. So it's got to be a personal... Something, something. He was a workaholic, and I don't know if he really enjoyed the money he had anyway. He was always working. He was, he had the biggest patient base at every practice he ever had. He always had the most patients. He was always the most beloved doctor in the area. You know, he was actually like on waiting lists. Like the older people would tell others about him, and then you, if you were lucky, you got him to have, you got to have Doctor Shipman. Maybe he was just addicted to having that control, that superiority over people's lives. Because think about, like, as your doctor. For sure. When you're, when you're in the room with a doctor, you feel mm-hmm. inferior. Mm-hmm. You're like, okay, I'm obviously not as smart as you are. You went 12 years of yep. medical school. And I'm whatever. very dependent on you. I'm very dependent on you. I have to listen My to what you well-being say. My well-being is It's almost like the power. It, it's very similar to the power of like a, a pastor, like a yeah. very, persu- like a Joel Steen. My fate is in your like hands that. type yeah. of thing. Yeah. It, it, for a doctor, my life, but mm-hmm. for a pastor, my afterlife my is afterlife. in your hands. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Um, much of Britain's legal structure concerning healthcare and med- so yeah, so a lot of this stuff was reviewed after his his capture. He's the only British doctor to have been found guilty of murdering his patients, although other doctors have been acquitted of similar crimes or convicted on lesser charges. To think he's the only one that's done this is naive. Yeah. For sure, doctors don't, have, have don't done, be fooling yourself. It's still happening right now. Yeah, maybe on a, a smaller scale, but yeah. like there's times where they could have kept a person going a little longer and they said eh, what's the point yeah if you i think if you have an elderly relative that is in at-home care when their mm-hmm. doctor is there i think someone should be there yeah somebody in the family like if you have a mother or a father that is getting in in home care i i think some you should be there when you also there. unless to, it's around the clock obviously you, you can't do that you, but you also have to consider the people that are doing this profession that are t- taking care of your elderly loved one or whatnot. They mm-hmm. get jaded after a while. It's human nature to see, when they see death on a regular basis. Yep. And like I said, they don't have that connection to your loved one like you do. Mm-hmm. They're just looking at it like, well, this person's going to die eventually. Yep. And let's, you know, let's get over with. Well, it's like what we were talking about in the death episode with funeral directors, how they get jaded. Yeah. It's just a, it's, it's just nature. another cell. It's mm-hmm. just another, a cell to them. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. Just- I, did I tell the story of witnessing, not witnessing a shooting, but like the just the direct aftermath 
one time, um, this is an example of someone being jaded by their profession. Mm-hmm. Uh, one time I was hanging out with friends. I'll just try and keep it short. And we were hanging out at, the, at this house. My wife was there. This is a long time ago when we first got together. Anyways, um, my wife and my buddy's uh, wife at the time went to go get some pizza. They parked at a gas station. My wife met her there. She let my wife left her truck at the gas station. She hopped in with my buddy's wife. They went to get the pizza. We at the same time were down the street at the house hanging out. We're like, hey, let's go for a drive. Let's go get some beer or whatever. Mm-hmm. We come down that same road towards the gas station where my wife's truck was ha- was parked. And as we're coming up to that gas station, there's a dude laying in the road. And there's like a crowd standing around. And we were like, what the hell's going on? We pull over. We see this guy's in the in the street like like in duress like he's coughing up blood and we're like asking the people that are standing around like what's going on yeah and they're like basically making like notions like he got shot they do like finger guns yeah like oh shit like nobody even wanted to say it yeah (laughs) yeah and so we're like basically watching this guy die and the paramedics come finally yeah a few minutes later and they're just like they i was just blown away because i was like to me this is like a big deal i'm like holy shit this guy's gonna die somebody doesn't do something right now i didn't know the circumstances as to whether he was whether it was his fault he got shot and they do trauma every day yeah and so they pull up and like they're taking their sweet ass time they get out they get and they literally like are like casually walking over to him and like joking yeah and like just kind of like and i'm like dude hurry up he's gonna fucking die yeah and he died (laughs) like the next day i saw in the newspaper that he had died and to be fair he was involved in a shootout i don't know the circumstances but he was shooting back at someone it was uh, and luckily it was like a 5 minute window where my wife and my buddy's wife was in that parking lot wow. literally they parked there they left and it happened we could have been involved in it they could have been involved in it it was like a 5 to 10 minute window that we just happened to not be there my wife's truck was in the picture yeah on the newspaper cuz they took a picture of the scene yeah yeah so it was just crazy but like that's what i mean like jaded you can become jaded by Absolutely. your profession because that was a human life. Maybe, maybe it was his fault. The shooting happened. Maybe it, he was just defending himself with a gun. Who knows? Yeah. But I think the fact that he was involved in a shootout, he was shooting back. They maybe that part of played into it. Like, well, forget, fuck him anyway. He's in a shootout in the public. Who cares? Let him die type of thing. But man, my dad did a stint on the, uh, on like a rescue squad back mm-hmm. home, like forever ago when I was younger. And I think he worked there for like, he worked with him for like two or three years mm-hmm. and he would do like overnight. I mean, he would do like nights at the races in Charlotte and like when, you know, people would get in fights, dude. And people would like, they would break beer bottles and be like fucking stabbing people mm-hmm. with like p- drunk race fans are insane. Yeah. Oh yeah. And he didn't tell me about any of this stuff. Like he would, I didn't even know. Like I thought so his job was, like, was so normal. Your dad and, was like roadhouse. <laughs> yeah. And then years later, years later, he would have all the, he would tell Pain me. Pain don't these, hurt. Yeah. He would, be, I would like, years later, as I got older, he would tell me these stories of stuff that he experienced. I'm like, and then you were coming home and like throwing ball with me and stuff. Right. Like how does, how do you, how do you, he, you just get used to it. Yeah. You absolutely get used to it. Yep. And like now, he, he wouldn't be jaded towards it. Like if he's seen somebody hurt now, it would be mm-hmm. profound. He's had like enough your distance reaction. from that time. That exactly. It's, it's a big deal again. Yeah, exactly. Yep. It's weird. The stuff that we can get accustomed to as human beings. Like you look, yeah. at, you look at history, like you go back far enough. You listen to Dan Carlin's Hardcore History. I was listening to the Mongol series on the way act, over here, actually. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And just the shit that they saw on a regular basis, a mountain of bones that look like a snowy mountain, you know, like that was like. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it's just another day. It's another day, man. Yeah, like the with Vlad the Impaler. Yeah, just same another shit. Day. Yeah, now we're really we're jaded by life being too s- smooth and easy. Now we, if we're lucky, we may never even seen a dead body. But yeah, Shipman seen his fair share. That's for sure. Let's talk about his early life. Um, he was born on January fourteenth, nineteen forty six. He shares a birthday with LL Cool J, 
Oh, okay. And Dave Grohl. All right. One great artist and one B-level actor and rapper. <laughs> <laughs> we'll let you know. I'm not a big well, fan of Cool now. J. I heard an interview, if you ever listen to the Jason Ellis radio show, I used to be a big fan of that. And he was he did an interview on Ellis once, and he was the biggest dick ever for Dude, no reason. Yeah, but it's it's tough. I mean, man. he's when probably doing the spotlight a sh- like yeah. that. You know what he's I'm saying? He's doing a bunch of interviews. He took a question Ellis said wrong. Maybe he didn't understand. Ellis has got a goofy... He's an Australian okay. with ex-skateboarder with a goofy personality, and maybe he just took the question wrong. Yeah, he maybe. Thought, he thought Ellis was questioning his manhood or something, and he just started saying, get these balls over and over again for summary it's very weird. <laughs> you can look it balls? up on youtube look up the jason ellis ll cool j interview it's pretty entertaining <laughs> get these balls yeah shout out to those That's down funny. under that know about ellis but yeah <laughs> i listened to that radio show for a while kind of shaped my australian accent mate oh did it yeah okay cool get these balls these balls mike yeah so yeah he was born january 14th 1946 at the bestwood estate in nottingham so is that one of those ones that we pronounce wrong? Because look, we've been working Dude, on it. I think Nottingham. We is now right. know that Gloucester is Gloucester, <laughs> Gloucester. People okay. have corrected us on that. So if we come across that, we'll know. But we, yeah. we, we people have corrected us a bunch of times on these British shit. Right. They also enjoy our terrible mispronunciations yeah. as well. So yeah, right. You know, we they're, can't win. We can't win. We can't win, and we can't way. lose. What are you going to do? You can't. <laughs> <laughs> um, he was the second of three children of Harold Frederick Shipman and Vera Britton. Affectionately known as Freddie, he had an older sister named Pauline, and four years after he was born, his younger brother Clive came along. However, Freddie, uh, little Freddie, or Harold Shipman, was his mother's favorite by far, and it's well known that she saw him as the brightest and most promising of her offspring. That old shtick, mm-hmm. where serial killers were... The favorite. The, the mama's boy. The mama's boy, yep. over-doted on. Mm-hmm. He actually, like, his mother made sure he always was dressed up with a suit and tie and everything and his other siblings <laughs> could kind of dress casually like he, oh really he was, yeah he was like to that extent her glowing child with the halo over it oh okay she I didn't realize con- it was that to that extent and she was controlling over all of them but even more so with him he's got like a closet of tuxes and they're wearing like, yeah. shirts with holes in them <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> um, she would dictate who they were allowed to be friends with where they went and even what they wore Shipman was very close to his mother who ended up dying of lung, lung cancer when she when he was 17 um, but leading up to that is a big part of his life because she was bedridden for a while with uh, terminal lung cancer. And he was by her bedside every day after school and tending to her. And he was even in the, in the room with the physician who right. was tending to her and giving her morphine. And he would see that um, effect on his mother where yep. she would be in extreme pain, coughing, all that. And, and then, then it's gone. the doctor would administer morphine and all of a sudden a sense of relief would come over her. And yeah. a, lot of, a lot of scholars believe you know that Maybe- played a big role in how he... Yeah. Um, acted as a prof- uh, as a professional later. Maybe you were right with that theory. Maybe, yeah. Maybe he thought I couldn't help my mom, but I can help all these people who are in the same amount, same type of pain. Yeah. And the only way to get rid of the pain is to end them. Right. That's in his mind. Mm-hmm. That's what he thought. To end their life is the only way to truly get rid of this pain. Yeah. I mean, who knows, man? Maybe he did think it. There's some horrendous stories um, of mothers. I've heard one on Sword and Scale back in the day. Uh, where a mother had like drowned her kids, she had like four kids and drowned them, and it yeah. was because she thought viewed the world as cruel, and she believed in an afterlife, and she thought this was the quickest way to get them out of this cruel world. And like she, she had beyond love for her kids, like most oh mothers my do. God, and it's a horrendous story, but like a lot of people view life as more brutal than letting yeah. them go, and maybe that's kind of what he developed over time. And and morphine, 
one of the better ways to go, it sounds like. It sounds what? like you just drift into sleep and you're gone. Yeah, and like, it does sound pretty blissful. We talked about death in the death episode mm-hmm. um, and how your face gets contorted. That's on Patreon, that. guys. Yeah, on Patreon. Maybe. We talked a lot about death in that episode. It was what it was all about. Patreon.com slash true crime, guys. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and the faces of death after you're gone, you right. know, the contorted, you know, wicked looking face. And it yeah. sounds like that isn't necessarily the case with morphine. It looks like you're just sleeping peacefully. Cause you drift into an easy sleep and then you're gone. So right. maybe he just viewed that as being, uh, I don't know. What's the word? Being merciful. sympathetic and merciful. That's the word. Yeah. yeah. You know, what's funny is that as that religion can call, can help someone live a life that they don't love because of the hope of the afterlife. Mm-hmm. But in that instance, it could do the opposite. It can make them not want to put up with a life that they don't love and just want to get straight to the afterlife. I, right. But that's not how it's supposed I, to work. Right. Oh, <sighs> God, I never thought about that. I mean, I mean, I guess I, I mean, it doesn't sound crazy. You're supposed to, to do me good to here and it, share. Like, aren't you? I mean, I don't know. Obviously, I'm not the most versed on religion, but aren't you supposed to share God's love and everything while you're here and try to? Well, just because, share it with as many people as you can, and then when you die, however you're supposed to, you're not supposed to commit suicide. Right? Well, like, here's the harsh not, reality: is that a lot of diehard religious people they are sharing love and they are doing things, but they. They're really not that motive. happy. Yeah, it's it's ulterior motive, but it's also they're not they're not doing so great. Like maybe not financially. They don't really have a lot. They don't. Not all of them. Say, you're saying some. They're, some they're are, working but, probably a job that's just like ah whatever. But mm-hmm. you know what? I'm working for the kingdom. You know what I mean? Yeah. I got a goal in mind. When I die, so, it's going to be glorious. Yeah. You don't where, where you, I go. It's almost like you don't have as many ambitions as far as yeah. as as moving up in life because right. you. You think you're going to be the supreme? You're gone. just a placeholder for now. Exactly. Being on this earth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another part of this experience, um, watching his mother go through this, was uh, that ended up shaping his career were visits from the family doctor, as we'd mentioned, how he spent bedside time with um, his mother dying and the doctor being there administering the uh, morphine. Right. In the end stages of her disease, Vera was in constant pain. The doctor would come to their home and administer morphine. Shipman would watch in awe as her pain almost instantly disappeared. His fascination with opiates became a lifelong one, first as a user and later in life as a modus operandi for ending his victims' lives. His mother passed away on June 21st, 1963. Um, was that right before or after JFK was assassinated? That was uh, right 11, around that time. 11 22, right? Okay, so a few months later was so when she didn't, JFK was. Because I mean, she was a king book. <laughs> I mean, she was in Britain, so I'm sure she didn't care. But Yeah. yeah. Um, Let's talk about his uh, future wife, who would always be by his side, Primrose. On November 5th, 1996, Shipman married Primrose May Oxtaby. He was 19 at the time, and she was only 17 and five months pregnant with their first child. Primrose had also grown up with a very strict mother, and it was something that had brought the two together, so they had a very similar upbringing with an overbearing mother. Um, despite a whirlwind courtship, they ended up being a very good match and had a total of four children together, and Primrose would stay loyal to Shipman until the day he died and end up being a defender of his vehemently defending his innocence in multiple occasions when he yeah. was under fire early on for drug abuse as a doctor and then later on uh, for the murder convictions. Well, I'm sure he shared the story of his mother and how her life ended and the way it ended. And I'm sure he shared probably more with her than we think. Mm-hmm. I know she's kind of glossed over, at least in the book she was. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just, it, that's pretty much it. That's pretty much all the book talked about her, you right? You see her it a bit. It doesn't even really mention her. You see her a bit in the specials that were done for her, if you watch them on YouTube. You okay. See, yeah, you see that she was going to his court hearings and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And, but, I mean, yeah, you don't know much about her. I think she was just kind of, um, I think she was a caretaker at home and just kind of 
always there for him and tending to his needs. And I think he was gone a lot. So you right. don't hear a lot about her because he was always out tending to patients and whatnot. And she right. was at, at yeah. home tending to the household. Um, let's talk about his medical and school, his medical school and early career. He went on to study at medicine at study medicine at Leeds school of medicine, graduating in 1970 at the age of 24. Um, it was, he was very talented student early on and then mm-hmm. it became harder for him. He wasn't, uh, brilliant as far as he couldn't just ace every test yeah he had to grind and he was dedicated to becoming a doctor and he was appreciated for his work ethic because he would fail tests go right back and he never faltered on his concept of being anything other than a doctor he was always yeah. going to be a doctor no matter what he had had his mind made up from the time that he witnessed his mother and i think die. if anything speaks positively to him in this whole episode it's that yeah it's that that's that's kind of because i don't think he was going I don't think the motivation for him to keep trying over and over again was so he could kill people and take their money. I think it was so he could help people. I think mm-hmm. he genuinely wanted to help people and end their suffering. Yeah. And he felt like that was his only calling. That was the only way he could make it up to his mother for not being able to help her. Yeah. Like we said, I think he went into it with uh, yeah. good motivations and then yeah. it turned dark as it does a lot of times. Right. Uh, he began working at Pontefract General Infirmary, uh, Infirmary at Pontefract, Yorkshire. Probably ruined all those words. <laughs> Pontefract Yorkshire. <laughs> Yorkshire. This was an intern type position, and after three years, he began uh, became a fully registered physician. He then took a supervisory role and spent three more years at the same facility. In 1974, he took his first position as a general practitioner, and his dream was made true. Wow. Um, and that's when go. things started going bad. Once Shipman became a junior partner at his new practice, he took his ver- his role very seriously and began to complete overhaul of the record-keeping system. And so he was very, um, he could be tough to work with. Um, he was known to talk down to, to people that were at lower positions. Yeah, very The other physicians liked him because he had a general respect for them for being you know, on par with him and his prowess. But like anybody that came up to him and said anything that he viewed as wrong, he would tear them down. You know what? I feel like that's pretty normal for doctors. Yeah. Uh, nurses right in. Let us know about yeah. that. I, I'm curious, but doctors. I'm pretty sure I can see that in that culture. I yeah. can see that because, you know, it's, I have a few nurses in my family and they all say that even, and I have a sister-in-law who, who works at a vet mm-hmm. and she's a, basically an animal nurse. And she says that even about vets, yeah. like, cause she works at a practice where there's multiple vets and like between all the vets, they're, they're cool with each other, yeah. but the but they talk down to all the, the texts and stuff like that. And it's just, it's their way or the highway. My, wi- my wife actually had, has an uncle that, w- that owns a uh, vet, oh, really? a vet business. And yeah, he was a dick too. Yeah. He was a dick to her a lot, a lot of times. Well, I mean, they, they, I get it. It's a serious thing. Like if you say a, a nurse or, or a nurse or whoever mm-hmm. uh, screws up, it could be somebody's life or not, an animal's life or whatever. So and not to mention they have the, to be stern at times, but sometimes it's over the top, you know, and not to mention the training they have to go through. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They, they do, they should know what they're talking about. Yeah. And, and in Shipman's case, he went through it more than once. So he, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm sure he, he kind of knew what he was talking about at, at least at first, but he was very controlling. Right. Um, the other project he took on was the disposal of expired drugs and occasionally restocking the practice's supplies. So that comes in handy. Mm-hmm. It comes in handy if you're a drug abuser. I'll take care of the drugs. Don't worry about it, guys. <laughs> Go on home. <laughs> yeah. It's like it's, it's like uh, letting your fucking dog be over, take over disposing for dinner. You know, like yeah. I'll take care of it, guys. I'll I got take all, care of it, guys. All, these, all these leftovers. I'll make sure they go out yep. in the trash or Package whatever. Package them right up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
or a kid take care of the extra candy. Yeah, there you go. In February of 1975, it was noticed by it was noted by the Home Office Drugs in, uh, Inspectorate that Shipman's practice was ordering an unusually large quantity of pethidine, a narcotic painkiller. While pethidine uh, was the most common drug used to treat acute pain in the 20th century, there were concerns that Shipman was either selling or using the excess quantity. So yeah, very valuable mm-hmm. drug. Very powerful drug, basically like an opiate uh, painkiller. Wasn't it confirmed later that he was using some as well? Yes, he was. He was a, he was an abuser. Yeah, like his time. veins were like fucked up. Yeah, he started having seizures and stuff. Yeah, which yeah, an investigation into the matter didn't go very far. However, the pharmacist the practice purchased from was sure that there could be nothing amiss. He claimed that Shipman was the exact example of what a doctor should be. The investigation ended up being closed, although investigations would continue to watch Shipman later on. So. Early on, he had doctors that would uh, vouch for him and say, this guy's, he's not doing anything, anything dirty. He's, he's exactly, I mean, he was on the cutting edge of medicine early on. He actually would go into these practices with older doctors. He had just gotten out of school and he was kind of schooling them on the new way of doing things. And they, uh, a lot of times he was very well respected for that. They shouldn't have asked the doctors. They should have asked like his receptionist or something. Yeah. Somebody (laughs) that probably hated him. (laughs) Part of the problem is with him. And I think why he was so successful and the book kind of touched on this near the end is that he had such a professional look and demeanor and attitude that when mm-hmm. he went into anywhere, he was just taking, he was taken seriously right away. Yeah. He was a man of business and you weren't going to question a guy like that because you were probably afraid a little bit of what, how he might react and he might tear you down mm-hmm. if you questioned what, what he was doing because he looked, like I said, he fit the mold of like a very professional doctor, right. a man of business mm-hmm. when he came in and you're not going to like, all right, you know, I'll take his word for it. He knows what he's doing, obviously. Right, right. And so he got away with a lot of stuff by just being Mr. Serious. Mm-hmm. In May of 1975, Primrose, his wife, called one of the practice, practices other doctors stating that Harold had backed, blacked out in the bathroom and fallen and hit his head on the sink. This was not an isolated incident, and he was eventually diagnosed with epilepsy, although the cause could not be determined. So well, that was from the, the drug abuse. All it of those was from the drug abuse. Yeah, all the pethidine that he'd been onset. taking. They didn't know at this time. Yeah, yeah, but we later find out. Yep. At Shipman's own initiative, he stopped driving and had Primrose shuttle him to and from the office and drive him to the house calls. So yeah, he, that's how bad his drug abuse got. Mm. In the me- in the meantime, suspicions again began to grow over the amount of pethidine ordered by Shipman. He was again interviewed in June of 1975. It's a shame he didn't just, it sounds bad, but just overdose at this time. He was on the verge <laughs> of it. You know what I mean? Because it yeah. would have saved a whole lot of lives later on had he just taken a little too much pethidine himself. Yeah. Too bad he had other good doctors around him. Right. <laughs> Isn't that the irony of the whole thing? Yeah. This time, the register meant to track the drugs was found to be MIA. And without a record of where they went, the investigation once again ground to a halt. I feel like that's silly. Like, oh, you weren't keeping track of all these? Isn't that malpractice? Like, isn't that like a big fuck up? Like, all these drugs, you're ordering way too much drugs and there's no uh, track of where they went. So, isn't that like guilt right there? Instead, they go, eh, forget about it. (laughs) Right? Isn't that why we keep records of things? Like, like if you're you're a checker at a grocery store and you can't account for like money missing out of your register, but you don't know where it went. Is that all of a sudden you don't know where it went? You're innocent. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I lost it. Blame you. Could have went anywhere. I've checked the floor. I don't right know. Maybe it fell over here somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> in September of 1975, Shipman's colleagues discovered evidence he, in fact, was using and called him into the office to stage an intervention. Ding, 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 That show is so there good. There we go. They should have just left him alone. Intervention. Love that show. <laughs> he admitted to the drug use, but tried to use the camaraderie he had built with them to persuade them to hide 
his addiction rather than seek help. That's a desperate measure. That's like a Hail Mary. Yeah, Like, is. guys, guys, nah, I know I've been me. stealing from the practice. I hey. know I'm a terrible drug abuser, hey, but guys, come what's, on. Come on. We, come we, on. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, we go get beers after work. Right. Come on. <laughs> They're like, no, we don't. <laughs> You're always a dick. <laughs> You're always passed out in the bathroom, you <laughs> asshole. <laughs> right. We're worried if you mix alcohol with all the fucking drug abuse, you know, <laughs> right. you know we might be responsible for your death. <laughs> right. The partners declined, shocker, to participate in his scheme, which launched Shipman into a tirade, revealing his true colors. He initially resigned, but then withdrew it, letting the partners know that they would have to force him out. Dang. That's a desperate drug abuser Mm -hmm. right there. He's like, this is my in with these drugs. I I don't think he's worried about his job. I think he's worried about that. He's worried about losing them drugs, yeah, dude. Yeah, exactly. Because at this point, his his withdrawal symptoms would be at. Oh, oh my God. He wouldn't be able to do his job. Yeah. Dude, I had a surgery on on my, I think it was my foot or my, I don't know, I had some surgeries. Mm-hmm. Either my wrist or my foot and had plates and screws put in and whatnot. And I got put on Percocets. First, they yeah. tried to give me oxys and those didn't do anything for me. So I got Percocets oh. that actually helped with the pain. Yeah. And I was getting them like every four hours and I got addicted quick. Like I saw it. I get, luckily yeah, I saw what was happening. Mm-hmm. The fact that I was looking forward to these every four hours too much. And yeah. I would just be a vegetable on the couch for the next four hours until the next one. Yeah. And I, I recognized that I needed to stop and I just quit cold Turkey. And within, this was only a week or two. I was on these and I was already had bad withdrawals, like cold sweats and like yeah. miserable Dude, in the health field. Now, like people think that any kind of pain or discomfort, you can't. You shouldn't have to deal with it. Yeah, you shouldn't have to deal with it at all. It's, it's like it it's part of the be, healing process. It's yeah. It lets you know how far to go. It lets mm-hmm. you know what you should be doing and what you shouldn't be doing. Mm-hmm. I, th- those should only be for the first day or two after surgery when you're in yeah. unbearable pain, where exactly. it's like you shouldn't have to deal with this level of pain. But some level of pain is, you know, is like if to you be can, expected. That's if you part can of the sit healing on process. The couch and watch TV with the pain you're in after a surgery, then I think you should deal with it. Yeah. As long as you're not like squinting and. You know what I mean? Just yeah. like maybe some, maybe some ibuprofen just kind of take the edge off a little yeah. bit. Even that's shit for you. E- even that. I mean, God if you damn. if you take it every day a lot, yeah, ibuprofen. Yeah, yeah, if yeah. you're like popping eight eight hundreds like crazy, that's not good. <laughs> no. It's not good. But liver depletion. They do knock out a headache, man. Every now and then. Yes, they do. <laughs> yes, they do. All right. After seeking legal advice, the partners were able to do just that, and Shipman was ejected from the practice. So that it's just that, as in he forced them to force him out. They mm-hmm. did just that. They forced him out. Authorities were also informed of his illegal drug use. So, th- you know, it would have been smarter for him to just walk away. Now, by saying you guys got to force me out, they were forced to go seek, you know, yep. legal help They're or like, okay. le- uh, uh, help from the police. Right. Um, on November 28th, 1975, police once again interviewed Shipman, this time with certain knowledge of his drug abuse. So they basically he, he couldn't call their bluff anymore. Right. The first time they interviewed, he's like, no. And now they're like, we know. It's Your like, fucking bro, partners all told your us. Your arm looks like a pincushion. <laughs> Get real, bro. <laughs> right. He had collapsed all of his veins. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yep. That takes a lot of work. <laughs> the detective that interviewed him noticed that his veins had collapsed. It typically takes up, f- up to five years of constant intravenous drug use to cause this to happen. Detectives realized that he was he had likely been using since he graduated from medical school. That is a long time. <laughs> yeah. Shipman checked into a rehab facility and was discharged after 30 days. I'm sure that was a brutal 30 days, although he remained under psychiatric supervision for several years. And that is, as we know, I believe that was the end of his drug abuse of mm-hmm. morphine. Um, he just started basically administering it to others. Yeah, I think at Large a certain amounts. point, I think at a certain point he... Re- he really did get addicted and then once he was healed he was like okay i i, I really don't need this anymore mm-hmm. he i don't think he had the willpower or the time or in dedication to to quit this yeah i don't think he could have 
Soon after checking out of rehab, his, his seizures stopped completely and he went back to driving himself around. Shipman was eventually charged and was fined 600 uh, pounds for this. He quickly moved on to become a GP at the Donnybrook uh, Donny Medical Center near Manchester in 1977. He was upfront with the other doctors about the practice about his previous drug problems and subsequent convictions. So yeah, that was a smart thing that he did when he would go apply for these jobs. He actually admitted to his his past of drug abuse and yeah. his conviction because he knew eventually they were going to find out. Yeah, I mean, isn't and that they the were law, able though? to accept it. He said, "I went to rehab. I'm clean. You can test yeah. me, whatever." And, and and he was he was pretty charismatic. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. he he was a good guy. Like we talked about earlier with his his appearance and his demeanor. He yeah, seemed very professional. Harmless. Yeah. He once again became a leader in the practice and was heavily involved in the community. Shipman was also way ahead of his time in terms of preventative care. His suggestion, he suggested wellness checkups for his patients, regardless if they were feeling sick or not, which was actually really uncommon at the time to, yeah. uh, you know, to go see your doctor if you didn't need anything mm-hmm. just to get checked up on, which is something I don't do and I should. <laughs> yeah, the rest of the medical field caught on to that quick. They're like, all right, right. we can charge for absolutely nothing. Hey, we oh, can, okay. Yeah. <laughs> we can come in, check a heart, check a reflex. All right. All right. Let's get them on the monthly program. Yeah. <laughs> This did not become common practice for quite some time, however. Shipman was loved by his patients as he often spent more time than necessary with each patient, patient chatting them up about current events and their lives. He often made house calls to check in on patients as well. His relationship with his partners was less warm, however, as he often was very insistent on things being done his way. In 1991, yeah. he announced his intention to leave the practice. He told his colleagues... Here we go. He told back his colleagues... on his own. He told his colleagues he was leaving because he did not like the computer system that had been introduced in the practice in 1989. <laughs> Imagine the computer program in 1989. <laughs> Black with the green font right. or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Looks like the matrix coding and shit. He also disagreed with how his partners allocated the money they received from the National Health Service. However, these were things that he later grew to love and be all about. So at the time, it mm-hmm. just seemed like an excuse to get out of there and get his own practice going. It was. Kill That's all it was. Yeah. Yep. He opened his own office in August of 1992, taking some of the staff and many of the patients from his previous practice with him. That's fucked up. <laughs> yeah, it is. Shipman became even more popular, especially with elderly patients, as he was more than willing to do his do home visits. Now, more popular is an understatement. Like, oh, there was like was a the waiting man. list yep. to be one of his patients. Mm-hmm. It was like considered like, like you won celebrity. the lottery to have him as your doctor. Yep. New patients found him by word of mouth, and he became so popular he was unable to take in new patients. New patients were who were accepted into the practice described their excitement as feeling as if they won the lottery, like you mm-hmm. said. Suspicions are raised around this time, however. As part of his strategy for hiding his crimes, Shipman would recommend cremation to all of the families to all of the families of patients who had passed away. So That's this convenient. is him. This is premeditation on his part yep. as far as uh, trying to get away with uh, the murdering of these patients. Because if you're cremated... You know, there's no body to it's exhume. Hard, there's yeah. no, there's no toxicology. There's none of that. It's just the evidence right. is gone. It's dust. It's kind of hard to find the heroin in a body that's been cremated. Yeah, we talked a lot about cremation in our recent death episode on True Crime Guys Patreon, Patreon.com/slash True Crime Guys. <laughs> <laughs> like the little shameless plugs in the yeah, middle of the episode. <laughs> that's how we do. Yeah, free Lotus. Go check it out. <laughs> there's another one star review. Way yeah. to go, <laughs> You know, I tried to listen, and then, then they started dogging me because I don't pay for anything. <laughs> oh shit. Could do it in a male voice too. Started yeah. listening and then you're talking shit because I don't yeah. pay. Because yeah, well, fuck you. One star. I'm yeah. a freeloader. <laughs> <laughs> because cremation effectively ended the ability to learn anything about a person's cause of death, several control forms were pl- put in place to prevent foul play. The first was Form B. 
This form was to be filled out by a doctor who had taken care of the deceased while they were living and identified the body after their death. That would be him, Dr. Mm-hmm. Shipman, would right. be would be dealing with Form B. The form asked for details about the medical history, cause of death, and certified that the body had been identified. This was meant to establish whether cause of death was consistent with the patient's medical history, which most of the time was not because he was giving them you know, a large dose of morphine, which killed them, which had nothing to do with their previous medical history. Exactly. The next was Form C, was to be filled out by a doctor from another practice. This doctor was supposed to question the doctor who filled out Form B and certify that the deceased did not die under suspicious circumstances. So a checks and balances mm. type of thing. Basically checking up on your shit to make sure it's legit. Like, right. Which a lot of times doctors are just kind of like took that form b at its word like yeah okay i believe it. whatever you're another well doctor. could you imagine if you're a doctor that's on the same level you're dr mm-hmm. c and then you undermine dr b's like what the fuck dude you weren't even there yeah you don't even know this patient. Yeah, you i've been dealing knows. with this patient for years exactly and you're gonna tell me how to do my job yeah i can't really see a doctor going against i think them. most of the time they just went ahead and stamped like all right cool yeah all right you stamp mine when i come over to me. yeah exactly <laughs> you scratch my back i'll scratch yours yeah a third form form f was filled out at the crematorium by checking over the previous two forms and giving the final sign off on cremation now, we talked about the dirty practice of death and the financial gain to be. So if you're a cremation service, are you really going to be like question? How hard are you going to question these forms from right. doctors uh, who are legitimate doctors? Yeah. Oh, you say they died like, because uh, of I don't want to make $9,000 today. Yeah. I don't think I'm going to cremate All I got to do is put, throw them in a little incinerator incinerator, and I get yeah. the money. Cool. I'll, I'll sign off on these forms. Yeah, right. Um, it was it was the Form C that had aided in raising suspicion. Shipman often asked to practice directly across the street from him to fill out the Form C for him. Although that makes sense. Why would you drive it across town? Well, if it's you're like, bringing if a like, right across if you're the bringing street. like 20 a week over there, like, man, you're involved in a lot of people's deaths over there, Shipman. It's no, weird. We're doing the yet, same that. thing over here, and we had two this week. You had 20. What's going on? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know you got more patients, but damn. I mean, typically a good doctor would be someone who keeps people alive. Yeah. I mean, we're not saying you're a bad doctor. <laughs> we're just... <laughs> right. <laughs> Dr. Linda Reynolds, one of the doctors in the practice across the road, raised concerns with the local coroner about how many Form Cs they were filling out for Shipman. Dr. Reynolds' practice was three times the size of Shipman's, and in the three months before she had made her report, her practice had 14 deaths. In the same period, Shipman had requested she fill out 16 Form Cs. So he's doing two. He's done two more than her, and her hers is uh, three times the size. So do the math there. He's doing. Mm. You know, it just it doesn't equate. Right. The number did not include patients who had been buried, who had been who had died in the hospital, whose deaths had been certified by the coroner, or form C's that had been filled out by other practices. So this wasn't even scratching the surface as to how many he was actually involved in. This was just the form C's that everything fit the criteria for them doing it. Right. Deborah Bambroff of Frank Massey and Sons Funeral Parlor also expressed concerns about how Shipman's pra- patients all seemed to have died in a similar fashion. She was interviewed in the uh, special I was talking about on, that's on YouTube. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the Masseys, they own like one of the more beloved uh, funeral parlors at the time. Right. I don't know if it's still around or not. They were family run business and Frank Massey was running it and his daughter worked there. And she's like, dad, this does, they were sitting down for dinner one night and they're like, this doesn't add up. This, this Dr. Shipman keeps bringing yeah. in so many and all of them, they, they're women that are, uh, it's all older women. They're all dying fully clothed. Yeah. They're they're not they're uh, dying in bed fully clothed. This doesn't yeah. add up. She was saying like, she she does this for a living, so she sees yeah. like usually uh, the older women that would die, they'd be in their nightwear. You know, mm-hmm. they'd be in a nightgown or whatever. 
they'd been bedridden for a while or they would die. Yeah. A lot of times they would die in, in the chair in the living room, on the couch or whatever. Right. And it was like every time it was like they seemed to be doing well and good health. And then all of a sudden they're fully clothed and dead in their bed. Yeah. And it just didn't, a lot of this stuff didn't add up. I could see the father's response. Like, listen, uh, honey, let's, let's go out on the yacht today and we'll, uh, we'll talk about it. Cause you know, they're getting rich off this shit. Right. <laughs> it's like at the same time, it's like, should we raise concerns? And he's looking at her like, are you sure? We are living in a mansion right. now. <laughs> we were living in the funeral parlor. Right. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm considering getting a gold Rolex for right. shipment for Christmas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The shipment thing. We'll talk about that. Which which co- which color of this Corvette do you like? Which... <laughs> the coroner next made a report to the local police. Unfortunately, they were unable to find sufficient evidence to bring charges. The shipment inquiry later blamed the police for assigning inexperienced officers to the case. Yeah, uh, it sounds like uh, these the investigators involved. In uh, in his case early on, it's like some, I don't know. The, the book made it sound like he was like they should have had yakety sax playing in the background. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bush League. <laughs> uh, between April seventeenth, nineteen ninety eight, when the police abandoned the investigation and Shipman's eventual arrest, he killed three more people. In August of nineteen ninety eight, taxi driver John Shaw contacted the police, informing them that he suspected Shipman of murdering t- murdering twenty one of his patients. He was also in that YouTube special. Yeah, talking about how he would like drive around these elderly patients who seem to be in good spirits mm-hmm. doing well you know not termin- next thing you know they're gone not necessarily terminally ill he would deliver them to shipman's office and then they wouldn't come out killing all his like customers like, <laughs> son of a bitch <laughs> right <laughs> yeah. yeah it's like the opposite of the cremation service He's yeah like <laughs> somebody's got to suffer right yeah he brought this big list of like all of these people he'd been driving that had suddenly just died under uh shipman's care wow his last victim shipman uh, was Kathleen Grundy, who was found dead at her home on June 24th, 1998. Shipman was the last person to see her alive. He later signed her death certificate, recording, quote, old age as the cause of death. Mm, that was a mistake because Grundy was in super good health. Yeah. Yeah, it didn't, didn't seem to fit the mold. Usually mm-hmm. people who die of, quote, unquote, old age are bedridden for months, and it's yep. because multiple organs are failing at once. This was something I found interesting that the book described. There actually is old age deaths you know usually yeah, absolutely you know usually there's a direct ex- explanation like liver failure or, you know heart mm-hmm. attack that's a stroke whatever but when you have multiple organs failing, failing at and, once it goes under full organs. body systems failing mm-hmm. yeah and it's a slow process usually you're yeah. real old like i would say old age deaths are probably more 90s hundreds yeah late 80s at other at than that one particular say. thing's probably failing as opposed to multiple at once like that right um Grundy's daughter, lawyer Angela Woodruff, became concerned when solicitor Brian Burgess informed her that uh, that a will had been made, apparently by her mother. Uh, previously, Angela had handled all of her mother's legal affairs, and she was made the sole primary beneficiary of her mother's estate and everything. Right, that makes sense. Yeah, her, her daughter's daughter, a lawyer. That's perfect. Yeah, her daughter Angela was supposed to get everything when her mom died, and all of a sudden there's this new will where her doctor is supposed to get the estate and everything, he made a big fuck up here. Not only is he like he turning it financial, turning financial gain all mm-hmm. of a sudden out of killing a patient, right? But he's killing a patient whose daughter's a lawyer and taking all of the stuff she was supposed to get. He couldn't have like known. you couldn't have picked the worst like patient to yeah. do this, you know? He didn't know, right? And you're bound to make a mistake when you're killing hundreds of people. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> there were obvious doubts about the authenticity of the will. That's another issue: is that the will he wrote up, he should have practiced more because it was god awful. Everybody that knew what a will looked like was yeah. looking at this thing like, who, who did a kid what? make this? <laughs> it was made with like a ten dollar typewriter. <laughs> sure, he didn't write it out in his terrible doctor handwriting. Right, all doctors have <laughs> had like cereal fucking stains on it. Right. <laughs> 
It excluded Angela and her children, but left 386,000 pounds to shipment. Damn, she was doing well, huh? Burgess told Woodruff to report it, and she went to the police who began an investigation. Grundy's body was exhumed, and when examined, it was found to contain traces of diamorphine, or heroin, often used for pain control in terminal cancer patients. And this is something he'd been doing, where he would kill a person by injecting them with an overload of morphine, and Mm -hmm. then he would go and fill a prescription for morphine for them after they had already died. And that would be his, basically his uh, morphine for the next victim that he was going to do. Killing them, going and filling a prescription, then filling out all the paperwork for their death, and using that morphine from their prescription to kill the next person, and so on it goes. Wow. Pretty uh, clever system he had going there. Yeah. Shipman claimed that she was an addict and showed them comments he had written to the effect in his computerized medical journal, which he uh, grew to embrace after shitting all over it at his previous practice. <laughs> he was all about the, uh, the computer. All about the computer now, right? Yep. Yeah. The will was also found to be a forgery. A forensic investigator determined that Kathleen Grundy had not been the one to sign it. Imagine he probably just like used her lifeless hand to sign the damn thing. I don't think he even did that. He no. probably just looked at a copy of it or mm-hmm. just tried to copy it the best he could. Shipman was arrested on September 7th, 1998, and was found to own a typewriter of the kind used to make the forged will. The police then investigated other deaths Shipman had certified and created a list of 15 cases to investigate. It's amazing how when money gets involved, things start to progress, right? He's killing these older people, and I think the police investigating it initially were like, I don't know how much stock they put into it. He's a credible doctor, mm-hmm. and they're like they're looking at it like these are older people. They're going to die soon anyway. I think yeah. that's honestly how they looked at it. But then when a will is you know produced uh, kind of suspiciously, uh-huh. and this lawyer daughter is it gets involved, then I was like, about to say right, it's time I, to get busy. Here. I think it's mostly the lawyer daughter that yeah. uh, really pushed things, pushed flags here, would raise all. The she red was flags. doing the more investigating. It seemed yeah. like well, what, I mean, she's the daughter. She's motivated. Yeah. Police then discovered a pattern of his administering lethal doses of opiates, signing patients' death certificates, and then falsifying medical records to indicate that they had been in poor health. Mm. So, he, yeah, he was setting this whole thing up, premeditating yeah. it every time, getting and, better and better at it. And this is pretty much the, the case that took him down. Yeah, this is pretty he, much he it. got greedy. That's what yep. serial killers do, right? They, they always, always they, get, they get away with it. They get away with it. They get cocky. They become invincible in their own eyes, and mm-hmm. then they fuck up, and that's when police get them. They just kind of wait for them to screw up. Yep. Um, and yeah, the greed is what ultimately got him. Let's talk trial and imprisonment. Shipman's trial began October 5th, 1999. He was charged with the murders from, of Marie West, Irene Turner, Lizzie Williams, Jean Lilly, Ivy Thomas, Muriel Grimshaw, Mary Quinn Kathleen Wagstaff, Bianca Promfrit, Nora Nuttall, Pamela Hillier, Maureen Ward, Winifred Miller, Joan Malia, and Kathleen Grundy. Now, I say all those names because that's, what, like 15 or whatever that he was being tried for. Mm-hmm. And yet, like, it sounds like a lot. I'm reading this list and list. That's not even like a tenth. That is not like, even scratching the surface. Yeah. So you you have to. It is important to keep some levity here and, ima- and imagine that all these 215 or whatever that he was supposedly yep. for sure had killed. And he probably killed a lot more or 250 or whatever. That's so how? many people. That's so many people. Like all the people you know may not even be in the 200s. You know, Dude, like think about how many people he affected just overall. Yeah. And then you Millions, think about the probably. spider web yeah, that shoots off saying. of each one of those. All yeah. the people affected their families. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. It's unreal. Unbelievable. And and completely unjustified in 95% of these cases, I'd imagine. Like I said, there was probably cases where they were in great pain and it was like kind of a, uh, what was his name? Dr. Uh, uh, 
Kevorkian? Yeah, Kevorkian. The assisted or, yeah. suicide, yeah. But still, you need their consent. Like, maybe they're in pain, but they don't want to die yet. Right. You know right, what I mean? Right. And then you're still, you're still way wrong for doing it. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so uh, his legal representatives tried but failed to have the Grundy case where a clear motive was alleged, tried separately from the others, where no motive was apparent. So, yeah, it is hard to get a conviction with no motive because mm-hmm. even we're still speculating on his motive as to why he did this. Right. Um, the prosecution opened the trial stating that Shipman enjoyed killing his patients and exercising control over life and death. So that's yet another reason why he fucked up so bad with Grundy is that that then then helped him get convicted because there was a clear motive as to him taking her estate and everything. Yep. All the other killings, you know, it's like, well, why would he do this? Like, that's all the mm-hmm. defense has to say. But with that one, it's like, obviously, he created a fake will yep. and was going to take all the shit. That's a clear motive. <clears throat> Evidence was presented throughout the trial that quickly stacked against Shipman, the peaceful position of the bodies he found, quote unquote found, mm-hmm. the carelessness to which he pronounced someone dead, the fact that many of his patients had their cause of death listed as simply as old age, quote unquote. We forgot to mention that a lot of times when he would uh, administer this morphine and kill his patients, there would be family members in the other room and he would fake call the ambulance oh on the God. phone in front of them. Mm-hmm calling no one he's talking to nothing and he's basically you know like going through the call and progressing and and checking their polls fake and all that shit in front of the family and then he basically at the end of the phone call goes uh it's okay we don't need you she's gone wait wait nope she's dead yeah yep she's dead never mind never mind so that's that's the game he would play because he knew if he actually called the ambulance that they would ask a lot more questions more than likely they would still come out to examine the body and it would become a whole big thing and be a lot harder you think the 911 responder or or whatever it is in britain is going to be like oh oh she's just dead now okay well that's fine yeah Yeah. imagine he's on the phone no big deal he tells him it's okay you don't have to come she's gone hangs up the phone all right let's get her over to the crematorium let's get this uh, (laughs) they're like what just happened she was fine five minutes ago (laughs) she was fine five minutes ago this has all happened so fast yeah often when shipman found a body he would he would tell anyone who happened upon him that he had called in an ambulance however an examination of phone records showed no calls had ever been made so that didn't look good either no um, because Shipman was insistent on his innocence, his defense team had tried to tear down the prosecution's argument and build a favorable narrative for their client using information he, he himself supplied. The trial concluded on January 25th, 2000, and on January 31st, 2000, after six days of deliberation, the jury found Shipman guilty of 15 counts of murder and one count of forgery. Justice Forbes subsequently sentenced Shipman to life imprisonment on all 15 counts of murder with a recommendation that he be never be released to be served concurrently with a sentence of four years for forgery of Grundy's will. Mm. On February 11, 2000, 10 days after his conviction, the general medical council formally took shipment off its register. So (laughs) yeah, no longer able to practice. Not that he was going to have the chance from behind bars. Two years later, home secretary, David Blunkin confirmed the judge's whole life sentence just months before the British government ministers lost their power to, to set minimum terms for prisoners. Shipman consistently denied his guilt, disputing the scientific evidence against him. He never made any public statements about his actions. So there, there's one thing you can say is he definitely never did this for fame or notoriety. Absolutely or any, not, He was not no. one of those serial killers that would brag about his numbers or anything no. like that. He would rather all of this fly under the radar forever. Yeah. Yeah, so his wife, Primrose, steadfastly maintained her husband's innocence even after his conviction. On uh, January 13th, 2004, at 6.20, Shipman hung himself in his cell at Wakefield Prison on the eve of his 58th birthday. He was pronounced dead at 8.10 p.m. A statement indicated that Shipman had hanged himself from the window of his window bars of his cell using bed sheets. 
Some of the victim's family said they felt cheated as his suicide meant they would never have the satisfaction of Shipman's confession, nor answers as to why he committed his crimes. It seems like he was never mm-hmm. going to confess regardless. He wasn't. Uh, I, the book brought up how he had mentioned to another um, inmate at the facility that if he had lived to see 60, that his wife wouldn't get uh, this settlement. There was some settlement that his wife was due to get if he died before 60. Maybe some kind of oh. life insurance thing or whatever. So he was doing it to, Do it to help his, his primrose that had always stood by him. Right. The Home Secretary, David Plunkin, noted that celebrating was tempting, saying, you wake up and you receive a call telling you that Shipman has topped himself and you think... He, is it too early to open a bottle? And then you discover <laughs> that everybody's very upset he's done it. Yeah, mm. so he couldn't celebrate because he felt bad for the families. He got no closure. Yeah. Let's read that again in British. You wake up and you receive a phone call telling you that Shipman has topped himself and you think, is it too early to open a bottle? <laughs> then you discover that everybody's very upset he's done it. <laughs> Damn it. I can't that, even celebrate. That wanker. <laughs> that wanker's won again. Right. <laughs> His death divided national newspapers with the Daily Mirror branding him a cold coward and condemning the prison service for allowing his suicide to happen. They wanted him to live and think about what he'd done for much longer. The Sun ran a celebratory front page headline, Ship, ship, hooray! <laughs> what? That's the most British headline I've ever right. heard. Ship, ship, hooray, old boy! Yeah. <laughs> the bad man's gone. Oh, ship! <laughs> <laughs> the Independent called for the inquiry into Shipman's suicide to look more widely at the state of Britain's prisons as well as the welfare of inmates. In The Guardian, an article by Sir David Ramsbrotham a former chief inspector of prisons suggested that the life sentence be being placed by indefinite sentencing for this would have at least given prisoners hope of eventual release and reduced the risk of their ending their own lives by suicide as well as making their management easier for prison officials. Ah, that's clever thinking. Yeah, really. So you make them think they have a chance of getting out, but really they don't. Right. Shipman's motive for suicide was never established, though he reported he told his probation officer that he was considering suicide to assure his wife's financial security after she was stripped of his National Health Service pers- pension. That's what it was, his yeah, pension. okay. And he told... I, I thought it was weird that he would even talk to other inmates because I feel like he would feel so superior to them that he wouldn't even bother talking to them. So that makes sense that he actually told his uh, probation officer this, not the... Mm. Um, Primrose Shipman received full NHS pension. She would not have been entitled to it if Shipman had lived past 60. Additionally, there was evidence that his wife, who had consistently protested Shipman's innocence, despite the overwhelming evidence, had been begun to suspect his guilt. <laughs> Just now? That's right. She actually sent a letter to him in prison um, telling him to tell her the truth no matter what it was. And so they also believed that maybe that led him to do this. It oh could have played God. it. So I think it was about the pension. And also he just didn't. He was not the type to enjoy anything about lifeline bars. He wanted to be a prati- I mean, practitioner. He, and he probably never wrote her back either because why would you want your wife to have that idea? It's better to just leave her wondering that you might have been a good person still. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If she's still not convinced completely, it's yeah. better to just give her the money and leave, yeah. and his, especially someone like him. Yeah. In January 2001, Chris Gregg, a senior West Yorkshire detective, was selected to lead an investigation into 22 of the West Yorkshire deaths. Following this, the Shipman inquiry into Shipman's activities submitted in July 2002 concluded that he had killed at least 215 of his patients between 75 and 98. Man, 75. I didn't know it went back that far. That's so long. 75 to 98. Janet Smith, the judge who submitted the report, admitted that many more of the deaths of a suspicious nature could could not be definitively ascribed to him. So a lot of them that were fishy, you got to think he probably played a role in at least half of those. For sure he did it directly. So I'm sure um, it was more. In total, 459 people died while under his care between 71 and 98, but it is is uncertain how many of those were murder victims. 
as he often uh, was the only doctor to certify the death. Smith's estimate of Shipman's total victim count over that 27-year period was 250. The General Medical Council charged six six doctors who signed cremation forms for Shipman's victims with misconduct, claiming they should have noticed the pattern between Shipman's home visits and his patients' deaths. All of these doctors were found not guilty. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah, tough to put that on them. You, know? you can't put that on them. They're just trying to do their job, and they're not going to assume this guy's doing this kind of how, shit. And how are you going to do your job right as a doctor while you're constantly watching this other guy yeah. and suspecting him mm-hmm. and reporting what he's doing? You can't yeah. do that. Yeah. As of early 2009, families of the victims of Shipman were still seeking compensation for the loss of their relatives. In September of 2009, authorities announced that the letters Shipman wrote in prison would be sold at auction, but following complaints... From victims, relatives, and the media, they withdrew the letters from the sale. Yeah, that's fucked up. Why are you selling that stuff? Yeah. Um, let's talk about the shipment effect. Now, we talked about some positive came out of this because it brought light to how this could go on in the medical field mm-hmm. and how they need to have more checks and balances. The shipment case and a series of recommendations that followed in the shipment inquiry report led to changes to a standard, to standard medical procedures in Britain. This is now referred to as the shipment effect. Many doctors reported changes in their dispensing practices and a reluctance to risk over prescribing pain medication may have led to underprescribing. So it could have had a bad effect as well where yeah, people were suffering when they didn't need to. Death certificate pre- uh, certification practices were altered as well, but perhaps the largest change was the movement from single doctor general practices to multiple doctor general practices. This was not a direct recommendation, but rather because the report stated that there was not enough safeguarding and monitoring of doctors' decisions. So wow. the shipment effect is real. He changed he changed everything. We talked about doing crimes that changed this. history. We should title this, The Shipment Effect. The Shipment Effect? Yeah. Or uh, Dr. Death is pretty catchy, too. Dr. Death, that's like a lot of stuff, though, isn't it? Yeah, that's true. There's like a lot of things called Dr. Death. If you, if you search Shipment Effect, right. and, well, you're going to find all that stuff. But maybe you'll find our podcast, too. What all do you right. think? All right, so that's it. That's Harold Shipman. Harold Frederick Shipman, little Doctor Death and the Shipman Effect. That's right. <laughs> Very yeah, nice. Let's get as many keywords in there as we yeah, can. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, we hope you enjoyed Doctor Death and the Shipman Effect. Yeah, that was something a little bit different. A little bit different. We've never done different type of serial killer. Yep. Different motives. Yeah. Maybe. A little fun freebie for you. Right. Let's get some shout outs and some uh, Oh My Gaia. All right. I'll do Oh My Gaia while you're It's hot as hell in this studio sound? right now, and my I pits know, still right? smell delightful <laughs> because I'm wearing Oh My Gaia. An all-natural yeah. deodorant and beard oil company. Oh, that's right. Specializing in a paraben and aluminum-free products. Lauren, yes. very good. Their innovative line of deodorants inhibit the growth of odor-causing bacteria while maintaining effectiveness. At Oh My Gaia, they use only all-natural and paraben and aluminum-free organic ingredients. They have a ton of scents. Vanilla, cherry almond, sandalwood, lavender, lemongrass, Egyptian musk, coconut, dreamsicle, leather. And we have our very own scent, True Crime Pine. Guys, it has our old-school logo on it. So every every jar of Oh My Gaia comes with like a sticker that, you know, a tamper-free sticker so you can mm-hmm. tell, or tamper-evident rather. And uh, the True Crime Pine has our uh, mug shots on it. So if you want to see our ugly mugs on the side of your deodorant, there you go. And it will get it will get you off uh, murder charges. It will? Sure. It'll cover up sins It'll cover stuff? up everything. Okay, great. Yep. Uh, but we have good news. OJ Since was actually wearing it. Oh, was he? Yeah, during his oh. investigation. Well, there you trial. go. That's a great. T- we should get him on. Yeah, we should get. Yeah, we should get him to do a commercial. <laughs> um, Hello, Twitter news. world. Good Have you seen this Twitter? <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Twitter world. Good news. He's so fucking weird. I can't believe he's on Twitter now. Yeah, he's so weird. Everybody is. <laughs> but good news, creepers. If you use the word creeper, you can get fifteen percent off your order at ohmygaia.com. 
If you use the word creeper, C-R-E-E-P-E-R at ohmygaia.com, O-H-M-Y-G-A-I-A.com or at shop underscore ohmygaia on Instagram. Hell yeah. Go do it. Do it right now. Do it. Stop smelling. feel better. Smelling shitty. Yeah. And stop putting cancer aluminum in your pits. That's right. I want to thank uh, everybody who went and rated and reviewed on iTunes this week. If you rate and review on Stitcher, we'll get around to you too. We let those build up for a little while. Mm -hmm. We don't get as many. Uh, A lot more people use iTunes. But yeah, thank you for taking the time. Even if you just go click five stars, that's awesome too. But I want to thank the people that actually took the time to write a review this week. Tara the Great uh, from the U.S. Patsy730 from the U.S. Uh, Guitar Picker 61. There you go. Fellow guitar player, Michael. There we go. Um, says that he's a from a frugal freeloader. Excellent podcast, very well researched. <laughs> right <laughs> See, on. Someone who embraces it. it. That's that what's up. That is how you take that's it. That's what's up, man. Uh, Sro eleven oh seven from the U.S. said mm-hmm. great podcast, five stars. Thank you. And Katie Hints from the U.S. Uh, said awesome, five stars. How have I not seen? How have I not heard of this podcast before this week? We have no idea. Yeah, man. Some people no stumble across and then they've got like a hundred episodes to listen to right. before they got to go to Patreon. <laughs> that's right. Well, but once you're like out of 80, those, I think. Yeah, but once you're out of the free episodes and you need more content, if you haven't done so yet, go to patreon.com slash guys. Get a bunch more episodes, that, a lot of which it's are well over, over three 30 hours. now. Yeah, a lot of yeah. which are over three hours. We put even more time into those. Yep. A lot of times we pick the bigger known cases. We've get, we've given some out for free now, so you guys get a little taste of what, what to expect Absolutely. when you go there. We're releasing the older ones once a month. Mm-hmm. So they're roughly about two years delayed from when we recorded them. Right. So don't hit us up on Instagram going, hey, we don't use this word, guys, or this didn't happen oh, anymore. Boy. It was, Listen, it's Back been then it was years. acceptable. Yeah, that was 2017. <laughs> back then you could say prostitute, okay? <laughs> <laughs> All right, perfect thing to end on. <laughs> well, no, if you go over there, you also get Michael's, yeah. uh, Michael's show exclusively oh, yeah. on Patreon, Higher Thoughts. That's right. Higher thoughts every week, every Saturday. He answers a lot of fan questions and all that yep. stuff. I hate using the word fan. A lot of listener questions. Yeah. That. If you guys go on Patreon, if you download the Patreon app, which is working much better now, um, I know some of you got discouraged when in, when we first started it, but uh, they got their shit together. They over got there their shit together. It's working pretty well now, yeah. and you can comment on post, and that's the easiest way because you can ask relevant questions to each episode and whatnot. But however you want to do it, if you want to hit us up on Twitter at True Crime Guys. Uh, Instagram at True Crime Guys, uh, True Crime Guys Facebook group, um, or the True Crime Guys closed group. If you don't want your family and friends knowing that you're a creeper, mm-hmm. that's cool too. You can do that. Um, and you guys can hit me up at and I'm Michael on Instagram and on Twitter. And uh, yeah, you can ask questions, whatever. I'll uh, respond to them on the show. If you got any topic suggestions, shoot them my way. Yeah, and we got Instagram and Twitter for the show overall. Mm-hmm. Uh, I run the Instagram and the Twitter. Well, Michael's I said on that. Our, I just said that. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah. At True Crime Guys. It's all good. We yeah, got whatever. it. Whatever. We don't need you anyway. All right. <laughs> <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> all right, guys. With that, keep creeping or don't. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Just, just, yeah, just fuck off. <laughs> no, just, keep creeping. We love, love you. I'll see guys. you next week. All right, oh, no, wait. Go. Yeah. Patreon. Uh, is there Freeloader series. Freeloader series next yeah, week? Oh, shit. Week. What's it going to be? I have no idea. We're coming up on Bundy pretty I'm soon. I'm trying to think. But I keep saying that, but no, then it's I think not that Bundy. was a little, little. I think we did like a, a one-off, like a Toki Williams. I think that one's soon. I think we did that okay. pretty early on. Okay. Uh, we did uh, We did the, um, what was it, Ruby Ridge. Ruby Ridge early that one, on. It could be that one. Could be. Ruby Ridge, which we also kind of threw in the Oklahoma City bombing with that one, and Waco. We talked a little bit a lot about domestic terrorism in that one. That's right. And how the... Um, ATF responds to those sometimes in not the best fashion. Right. Ruby Ridge is a great example. It is. But yeah. 
There's a lot of stuff on there. And we did bonus uh, episodes. We've talked to Esther on there. Michael's talked to Esther on Higher Thoughts. There's yep. two. There was a one where we talked to Esther for a while, and then there's also yeah. an episode of Higher Thoughts where you had her on. Yeah, that one's a little more current. The, uh, the one where I had Esther on Higher Thoughts, I think, was a couple weeks ago. Yeah, we've so talked to wanna, listeners. want to know what Esther's up to, We've hit talked. To, we've talked to Creepers on there. Yep. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff on there for two bucks. All right, Absolutely. guys. See you for the Freeloader series next week, and enjoy that. Yep. Get another little dose of Patreon if you're a freeloader. That's right, guys. And then Patreon after that. Yep. All right. See y'all. Keep creeping down. In the desert, we like a mirage. It's okay if you clicked on us because you thought we was true crime garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down. Let us talk at you. I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder. Get murder. Get murder. In the desert, we like a mirage. It's okay if you clicked on us because you thought we was true crime garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk at you. I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder charming.